Pissed is a story about a dude named Lane. He moved to the mainland and bought one place to stay. And then one day he went and tried to rent them out. And then he became one real investor man. Hey everybody, this is Lane with the Simple Passive Casual Podcast. Just a few announcements before we get started. First of all, if you guys haven't gotten your book, Burn Zones by George Newberry, who was on the last podcast, who told us about his $28 million debacle, shoot me an email and we'll send you a copy of his book. Also, it's coming up to the end of the year. And if any of you guys want to get on a call with me and just talk about you know what you guys have going for next year, go to the website and click on the link to set up a call into my calendar and we'll get something going. Today's guest is Dave Zook. He is the guest speaker at the National Business Conference, also in Mastermind Group Leader, also featured on the Wolf Formula podcast, and a frequent guest on the Real Estate Guys radio show. And I think you've been on a bunch more recently too. He owns real estate in several states as well as several countries. He and his investors have acquired over 2,300 apartment units. And he is the lead investor in the largest resort in the country of Belize. And we'll talk about that one later. That's kind of an interesting one. How's it going, Dave? Hey, Lane. I'm doing great. How are you? Doing great. You got a guest there and I got to get going. So we'll try and make this quick for you. All right. So first of all, Dave, you've got a pretty interesting story. Before I ask you the simple passive cash flow question, let us know how you got into real estate. I think there's some chicken coops in that story, right? Uh, we have a modular building business back here in Pennsylvania, and it's been kind of a family business, but it's grown a lot and expanded over the last 10, 15, 20 years. We've been in the business for 40 years. and. I was growing up, I actually had made up my mind that I was not going to be a real estate investor. I'd watched my dad kind of park money in real estate and invest in some real estate and self-manage. So I saw that whole thing from my childhood and I just decided, you know what, that's not going to be me. I'm never going to invest in real estate. And it was just a matter of education, self-education, learning how the tax code works, how the tax law worked and started a bunch of from the time I was in my late teens I was an investor I just wasn't a real estate investor I was investing in businesses and over the next number of years decade some of those businesses really started doing very well and I started getting paying a lot of taxes I was just always taught that if you make a lot of money you got to pay a lot of tax and through a lot of self-education and running to the right people Robert Kiyosaki and his team and the real estate guys and Tom Wheelwright and a lot of those guys, I just learned that that wasn't true, that you could make a lot of money and not pay tax, but you had to get strategic about it. I sort of got forced into real estate because of my tax situation, but I've had a lot of fun with it since. So that was your big Han Solo so moment your- where I took that pivot point. Tell us about the chicken coop business and the transition to real estate. Chicken coops is a really small part of our business, but We built a lot of modular garages and modular storage sheds, a lot of modular horse barns, modular cabins. And in 2007, 2008, we saw this wave of kind of the self-reliance take form. And it it was really a matter of people just really got rattled over that whole 2008 financial crisis. And I think a lot of people – woke up and realized that, you know what, we may want to consider being a little bit more self-reliant and raising chickens, creating your own 
food and that whole thing just kind of really took off in 2008. So we were able to ride that whole wave and we were kind of the number one go-to chicken coop people writing a chicken coop book. It wasn't even something that I really set out to do. It just kind of fell in my lap and I just, I was in that space. So I took the opportunity and we kind of rode that wave and that wave lasted for a couple years and we became the number one chicken coop supplier in the United States. And it was about that time that Wiley approached me about writing a book and a friend of mine and I who had a big network, we co-authored it, we wrote it together. And it was a fun experience. It was something that I hadn't set out to do, but it kind of fell in my lap. So it, it was interesting for sure. Was this the dummies book? Yes. Okay. Cause I think I seen that book at that same time, all the way in Seattle, I was getting a chicken coop and I got three chickens, but I only got one egg. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Somebody stole my chickens. Yeah, build, build, building chicken coops for dummies is the name of it. That was how you, you became the first published author, right? That was your first book. That is correct. <laughs> how does that come to the real estate game? You were paying too many taxes. Yes, I was running several businesses and just having a lot of fun. I was doing all kinds of stuff that at the time I thought that it was just the right thing to do. And it seemed like a good idea. But Tom Wheelwright taught me a lot about the tax system. And one of the things that he said that really shook me was, if you want to change your tax, you got to change your facts. And I realized that I was getting taxed a certain way because I was behaving a certain way. And I was having all kinds of fun in my businesses, making a lot of money. I was doing some private money lending and doing of non-tax friendly activities. And it was just through a bunch of self-education and run into the right people. And I just went on an education binge and searched out people that I knew were where I wanted to be. And it got to the point where they helped me figure it out. And it was through that whole learning curve and getting around the right people that I realized that I needed real estate and that using real estate and with a real strategy behind it, it could give me a lot of tax protections. I was kind of forced into the real estate game. But I am glad it happened. I've been having a lot of fun with it since. Even though I got chased into it for tax reasons, there's a whole lot of other benefits that come along with it that I didn't even realize at the time. So your family did it, and then you jumped in. What made you like hesitant to go down that path originally? Yeah, my dad was investing in real estate, but it was more of a situation where he had extra money and he needed a place to park it. it he didn't really have a real strategy behind it, and he was self-managing in some of it. And I just took note that that was something that I didn't want to do because it just looked like a nightmare situation. And I made up my mind that I was going to be a, an investor, but I was going to invest in businesses. When I got to the point that I started paying a lot of taxes and after searching around and really educating myself and running into the right people, that's when I realized that I needed real estate to help protect me from being a tax slave. Yeah, I think when I got first started, you know, you look at all these landlords at the local RIAs and they're all doing it the wrong way, managing their own properties. They're not treating it like a business, kind of just being landlords and not investors. I totally hear you there. Most landlords are just mom and pa investors, so I can see the turnoff. Yeah. There are so many different ways to do real estate and so many different ways to make money in real estate, but I think it's important to have a strategy that works for you. I also think real estate is so powerful and it's such a good way to invest that you can have a pretty bad strategy and still make money. Yeah, that's correct. 
So Dave, how much simple passive cash flow are you making today and how are you doing it? Okay, so several different income streams and on the passive side, I'm in the six figures. That's a combination of some passive businesses and my passive real estate. You know what? I don't know exactly, but it's in the six figures monthly. How much of it percentage-wise would you say is business income and other real estate? How much percent is real estate income? I'm kind of shooting from the hip here, but I'd say probably about half from real estate. Is there like a long-term goal to kind of get it to the more passive real estate side or what's the vision there? That's been a long-term goal of mine for sure is to have my passive income from real estate exceed my business income. And it's taken a while, but it's certainly going in the right direction for sure. So help fill in the gaps here. You started in, down the real estate path. What did you get started with? Because you had a bit bankroll at the time. And then how did you get to where you're at today as an apartment syndicator? I started on my own. You know, I went down that traditional path of going out somewhere and finding a deal that I thought looked really good on paper. And buying that property, it was a five-unit apartment building. Of course... That's normally how a lot of people start. They go buy the deal that makes sense on paper, and then you got to go scramble around to put a team together. And once you do have that decent team around you, now you find out that the piece of real estate that you bought or that five-unit apartment building that I bought wasn't necessarily in the right section of town. And I made all those mistakes. Anymore, I sort of look at it from the top-down approach where I figure out what I want as an investor, and then I go to the marketplace that I want to invest in, and then I find the team that I want to invest with, and then that team helps me find the asset that I want to put in my portfolios. Listen, I made all of the rookie mistakes, and it cost me a lot of money, but that simple four-step strategy that I just told you made me so much money and saved me so much money in the last number of years that, you know, I would recommend that strategy to anybody. But it was kind of a slow process. I bought a couple five-unit apartment buildings on my own. I bought a couple fourplexes. I went down that path. And then I soon realized that to get where I wanted to go, I had to go bigger. And to get to the point where I could really leverage the tax law in my favor, I needed to go bigger. I had to use debt. I had to use cost segregation studies. I had to leverage the tax law to get me in a situation where I wanted to be. So I went with the real estate guys on a three-day field trip to Memphis. They introduced me to the team down there, and I ended up a few weeks later getting into a 92-unit building. And my broker introduced me to my now partner, and we did a deal together. And we liked it so much. I liked their style. I liked his style. We just kind of hit it off, and we've been doing business ever since. Started with a 92-unit. A couple months later, we did a 252-unit building together. Not long after that, I mean, there was other deals in the marketplace that were too good to pass up, and I got to the point where I sort of ran out of cash. And it was about that time that I was invited to sit on a founding board of a local bank. I was sitting with a dozen other guys, most of them who I knew very well. And I knew that they could stroke seven-figure checks. And they were making statements like, well, I don't know if we'll make any kind of a return for five to seven years if we invest in this bank. 
but it would be better than ever putting our money in a CD. And I just couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe the stuff that I was hearing coming out of that meeting from those guys. At that time, I was still in the deal flow, and now I was out of cash. So I figured out a way, you know what, if these guys don't have better options than that, I can certainly hook them up. So that's where the syndication idea first kind of birthed for me. And it wasn't long after that that we put a deal on a contract. I went to see some of these guys. I went to see some local businessmen, and we funded the deal, and I've been syndicated ever since. So some people think that the syndication is way over their head, and they'll do it in 10, 20 years. But kind of my path is, you know, I did single-family homes, and I got to a point where it just wasn't scalable. And then I started meeting all these other people like yourself, and they were all laughing how they thought they were going to get rich with a few single-family homes or 10 single-family homes. And it just wasn't the way to go. It wasn't a very sophisticated way of investing. And then I came into this multifamily thing. What are your thoughts on, you know, a lot of people have this idea that, oh, I need to get a two-unit, four-unit, eight-unit, 16-unit, 24, 32, 64, just keep working the way up. I mean, I'm kind of the opinion, just might as well go big to get the economies of scale. But what's your opinion? I don't think there's any, especially if you're coming in fresh and brand new, I don't think there's any problem. I don't think there's anything wrong with starting small. But at the same time, I can tell you that buying a 150-unit building for $5 bucks is much easier for me today than buying a single-family home. Right now, the bank will ask me, on a three to five million dollar loan, they'll ask me for my three years of tax returns and personal financial statement. About three years ago, I bought a single family home, and it was ten times harder for me to get that loan of four hundred thousand dollars than it is for me to get four million dollars on a multifamily apartment building. We tend to complicate things in our mind, but it's really going bigger sometimes is easier. Right, and you're working with more sophisticated vendors, and there's less competition. That's exactly right. So, Dave, what's your worst life or business moment, and what did you do after, and what did you learn from it? A situation where I was the syndicatee, I was the investor investing into somebody else's syndication. The passive. There is, yeah, there's nothing the matter with that, and I've done it many times, but I got into a deal with the wrong person, and it ended up costing me a couple hundred thousand dollars. This just sounded like one of those deals that was a home run, and so I went all in, and I was the only investor in the deal, and turned out that my partner at the time could not make it happen, couldn't do what he thought he could do, and ended up costing me a lot of money. That was my worst investment nightmare. It was just a situation where I partnered up with the wrong team. Anything that you could have done to prevent it in hindsight? Yeah, I could have went in smaller. I could have got my feet wet and tested the relationship. I could have went in with a hundred grand instead of seven fifty. You know, looking back, you see all those things, you see all those mistakes. But at the time, it seemed like a really good deal, and I went all in. It's really not my style to start small and cautious, but you know, that's what I should have done on that one. Great lesson. I tell people to when they start out with a syndication to test it out with the minimum, which is usually about $50,000 and get some diversification that way too. And the thing with the syndication investing is, to me, it's much more important who you do business with and who your partners are than the actual asset itself. Because here's the deal. If you have a 
good asset, a decent asset and a decent market, and you have a super good team, they're going to make something out of that asset and it's going to perform. If you have a really good asset in a really good market with a bad team, they'll figure out a way to screw it up. I would just say to me, going into a deal, and I still do, I still invest with other people. I still invest in private placements and syndications. But to me, it's always more important about who the players are, who my partners are, than about the actual asset itself. What's something that you've been working on lately? What's a two-week experiment and a six-month project that you're currently working on? Show folks that you're actively working on new things too. There's a couple things. One is right now, in fact, just today, I finished up the executive summary on 124 unit that we are closing on in January. That's 124 units on the south side of Memphis. I'm also working on an 88 unit deal in Houston, Texas. Between those two and the project we got going on in Belize, I got a syndication going on in Belize. We're building the largest resort property in the country of Belize, and that's going really well. Just a few months back, Hilton Hotels came on board, and we're a branded Hilton Resort. Between those three projects, that's been keeping me kind of busy. Is that Belize project a transformer type of units where you can be a two-bedroom, full family, or just a one-bedroom? Yeah, there are different product types. The one unit is a full two-and-a-half-bedroom unit, and then there's also single studio units and efficiency apartments. It's a really nice mix, a nice combination. Just more of those real neat projects going on, more on the development side as opposed to the cash flow apartments. For people trying to build a portfolio, you need everything. And again, it all comes down to the team. I went down and got involved in this project because of players that were involved. Had I not known the developers, I would have not went down and invested in Belize. But I knew the guys. I knew the people on board. I'd made money with them before, had a lot of fun with them before. Again, it was about the team. It wasn't about the asset. Normally, I invest in relationships and the team. What makes it so fun? Like, why just talk to each other on the phone and you get some bank statements? But, like, what makes it so fun to interact and work on these deals together? I've got a little idea, but I'd like to get your insight. It's just so much more fun dealing with good people. Life is too short to deal with idiots. And when you wake up in the morning and you're getting up and doing business with competent people that do what they say and they're able to get things done. It's just so much more fun. What is your simple passive cash flow number that you're trying to shoot for or have you gotten there? At this point in the game, it's more about the impact that I can have. And if I can service my existing investors and keep making them happy and invite new investors into my syndication that may not have had the opportunity and not have had deal flow that I've got. If I can make that happen and make their life better, that's what gets me excited. It's not as much a financial target as it is how many people I can serve. Describe your current daily lifestyle. Yes, I get up at about 4.45 in the morning, have devotions. I get off to work at about 5.30. I do some reading. There's usually some daily stuff that I read first thing in the morning, check my email box to make sure that there's nothing urgent in there. I don't necessarily dive into it too deep at that point, but I want to make sure nothing burnt down overnight. I then get into a few specific chores that overlap from the day before and kind of get those off my desk. Then I get to work. It's different in different phases, so it's not always the same. Like, Say right now I'm in the middle of working on a new PPM for the 124-unit building, working with legal today, 
Then it's quite often where I'll have a few phone calls with investors. Yesterday I had lunch with an investor. Tomorrow I have lunch with an investor. And then just working on different deals. I've got a team of people that I manage on the modular building side. We're in contact throughout the day. Between working on my couple of businesses that I have and some of the real estate deals, managing investors, meeting with investors, that's pretty much my day and it's all a lot of fun. Does something that you've recently thought or actually did burn your cash on for a time savings or an improvement in quality of life, you know, that achievement item that you have always wanted? That's a good question. I always looking at being more productive, trying to be more productive. One of the things I do is listen to Darren Hardy's Darren Daily for a couple minutes. And his lesson this morning was exactly that of how do you get more done in a day's time and how do you be more effective with your time? So that's always been a battle for me to try to fine tune and set the disciplines in place that I need to have in place so that I can get more done in a day's time. But as far as a program, I'm not a real tech nerd. To me, it's just having a discipline to do what I know I need to do. For that increased productivity, what is something that you can possibly purchase? I don't know that I purchase it, but I did hire a full-time CPA who's now on staff, and he does a lot of things that I hate doing, like the bookkeeping stuff and keeping everything organized. I'm more of a aggressive, go get her done. And I like making a mess. So I need somebody to keep that paperwork straight and keep my keep everything in order. And also the reporting that goes out to the investors has definitely improved. So as far as being efficient, that's been one thing I didn't buy him, but I'm certainly paying for him. So that's one thing that really helped me in the last half year. Tony Robbins identifies two large concepts that we're continually struggling to gain perfection at. The first is the art of fulfillment. And the second is the science of achievement. If you died tomorrow, and this was your final words of wisdom, first, what's your secret to science of achievement? I think it comes down to discipline, doing the things that you know you should be doing and staying away from the things that you know you shouldn't be doing. I think it's just a matter of discipline. To me, I know what I need to do to get the most done in a day's time. I know what I need to do, but it's so easy to get sidetracked. And especially when you have a couple of different businesses, you've got people coming at you from all directions, tapping you on the shoulder. It's so easy to get sidetracked. But if you have the discipline to zero in on your target and not be pulled off of that job or off of that project, to me, it's about discipline. What's an example of a distraction? It seems like everything kind of helps our business, but obviously you've determined that there's more important things. For me, it's just having five or ten different things coming at you randomly and being able to stay the course my natural tendency would be to multitask i used to think i was a really good multitasker but i just learned to be really effective you can't be a multitasker you got to zero in just having a couple different businesses different things going on and just being able to kind of stay the course and learn how to delegate some of those responsibilities that has been a challenge that I've been working on, but it's definitely gotten better. Your secret to the art of fulfillment, how do you contribute back and how do you keep things in perspective? Like I said before, helping people, teaching people. We run a local real estate club here in town. Most of the investors are under 30 years old. And to be able to coach young investors 
and help them, guide them in the right direction, give them opportunities they haven't had before. Watching them kind of progress is just a lot of fun. I strongly believe giving back, taking some of the things that I've learned and give back, that gives me a lot of fulfillment. Tony Robbins says the two highest needs are growth and contribution. So you definitely got that one aligned with him. Dave, that's the end of it. Anything we missed, you'd like to give your contact for folks to get a hold of you? The easiest way to reach me is info at therealassetinvestor.com. And you can also go to our website. We've got some, some stuff on our website that you can look through. We've got executive summaries of deals that we've done. So you can kind of get a feel of some of the deals that we've done and what we do and how we do it. Be happy to engage with your listeners. They can send an email to info at therealassetinvestor.com. Met through a common friend. That's how I built my business. It's just referrals off referrals. I've never had to go do a Google search or any kind of random guy at the RIA or anything like that. It's all referrals. One thing, Lane, that I'll throw in for your listeners we are doing a field trip to Memphis on January the 11th and 12th. And we're going to have a drawing. Somebody's going to win a field trip. So if your listeners go to our website at therealassetinvestor.com. And for your listeners, we're putting together a field trip to Memphis, Dana, if, if they go to our website at therealassetinvestor.com and register, they can sign on to get a notice when we're doing the field trip. Well, we're actually doing January 11 and 12, but they can get information on that and they can also register to win a free field trip where all they got to do is get there. Expenses will be covered. I'd be happy to take some of your listeners along down to Memphis. And get some free barbecue, right? There you go. Dave, well, I appreciate the time. I know this took longer than we thought, but <laughs> we got through it. You're going to have some work on your hands, buddy. You got me in five-minute chunks. Darwin says, like, if it's not hard, then you won't change. Well, it's getting harder, so maybe it might beat my threshold. I need to change and start using a VA for this. If it was easy, everybody would be podcasting, Right. Right. But you know, they say about podcasters, right? You must know something. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Thanks for having me. This website offers very general information concerning real estate for investment purposes. Every investor situation is unique. Always seek the services of licensed third-party appraisers and inspectors to verify the value and condition of any property you intend to purchase. Use the services of professional title and escrow companies and licensed tax, investment, and or legal advisor before relying on any information contained herein. Information is not guaranteed as in every investment there is risk. The content found here is just my opinion and things change and I reserve the right to change my mind. Above all else, do your own analysis and think for yourself because in the end, you're the only person who is going to look out for your best interests.